Um, that was incidentally one of the worst intros to a writer or director that we've we've ever done. I don't want to move any further before addressing that point. Why? What's so bad about it? What, what, oh, what he, do you want? He directed some stuff. Well, I don't know what you're like. How much? If you haven't heard of Quentin Tarantino and you're hearing it from me first, <laughs> like I don't think that's my fault that the introduction's not good enough. Like he shouldn't need one. Well, don't get me wrong. I wasn't blaming just you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee and joining me is Luke Lionwall, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to be talking about Inglorious Bastards. Yes, um, and Tarantino in general. Yes. And as always, yes. Uh, if you want to get in touch, at the Story Toolkit on Twitter and thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com uh, for all uh, the website and all the episodes, etc. Let's yeah. get into it. So, uh, as a quick preface, um, if I call him Tarantino, uh, as a joke, I started saying, like, if he prefers to be called Tarantino, I would do that to people. <laughs> and as a result, I accidentally have realised that it's hard for me to say Tarantino. Right. Like, that's now, I've actually messed myself up. So if I ever call him Tarantino, just understand why I've done that. It's not because I think that's how you pronounce his name. It's because the joke is on me. <laughs> like, okay. I messed it up. So anyway, we're talking about Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Tarantino. <laughs> we're talking about him. And um, uh, obviously, if you haven't, you must, everyone knows who Quentin Tarantino is, but he has made films. He has written and directed films. He has written and directed eight at the moment, I believe. Uh, Pop Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown... The Hateful Eight just came out, which was very good. Inglourious Bastards, Django Unchained, Kill Bill 1 and 2, uh, Grindhouse or Death Proof or whatever that one was called. Uh, did you miss any? I don't think so. I think that's what we're we'll just on. trying to look to see if you did miss any. I think you hit them all. Did he do Trust Still Dawn? Death no, Proof. he didn't do that. Wait. That's Robert Rodriguez. Um, oh, yeah, he did. No, this is just... Oh, God, curse you, Google. True, You've true just given romance. me a list of I don't ones. know. Anyway, he's, he's done a bunch. And um, he's always mired in controversy about cinematic violence, uh, which is sort of beautifully ironic, as we'll get to <laughs> into this podcast. Um, and uh, he, like a number of other directors, is someone I never I never liked his films. Um, and then I saw a film of his, which I saw in Glorious Bastards, um, and then I finally got it. I was, oh, this is why everyone loves him. Which is ironic because this is a film you don't like. And yeah. yet you love his pop fiction. My opinion it. of him has been the opposite of yes, you. I exactly. enjoyed the, uh, I enjoyed his earlier works. <laughs> um, yeah. And have since uh, begun to go a little bit cold on him. But yeah. we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. That's not a fault of his. That's just a taste thing. But that's kind of forms yeah. the crux of what we're going to talk about. Today. Yeah, which is how his style... Um, we're, talk, we're going to talk about this, how the style and the writing are sort of working together in in Tarantino's films. And we'll take a look at Inglourious Bastards. Um, that was incidentally one of the worst intros to a writer or director that we've we've ever done. I don't want to move any further before addressing that point. Why? What's so bad about it? What, what, oh, what he, do you want? He directed some stuff. Well, I don't know what you're... Like, how much... If you haven't heard of Quentin Tarantino and you're hearing it from me first, <laughs> like, I don't think that's my fault that the introduction's not good enough. Like, he shouldn't need one. Well, don't get me wrong. I wasn't blaming just you. 
<laughs> they shouldn't need one. Like, it's more about why we're talking about him rather than, oh, have you heard of this guy? <laughs> That, that, a guy that, that, that's not what this introduction is. a director you've probably never this, heard this of. This is not the, the introduction that they need, but the one <laughs> they deserve. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, Inglorious Bastards, give us a rundown. Okay, so Inglor- if you love it so much. <laughs> Inglorious Bastards um, is a film that put Christoph Waltz on the map because he played um, Hans Lander. And uh, it's set in World War Two, and it opens. By the way, spoilers. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Such uh, a weird, uh, spoilers. Just don't I, get in trouble. I just want to make it clear that this, like, it, as soon as I, I, sometimes I may say something and then immediately give you the spoiler without realizing. But sometimes, like in this particular case, it's obvious I'm going to get into it. It's going to be quite a while till I get to the spoiler bits. But I'm letting you know now, okay, that the spoiler's coming. But like, there's going to be spoilers, okay? That's just how it is. Your disdain for the spoiler warning is going more and more weak. When it says. Look, I'm totally 100%. Like, we did spoil... Um, after we did the Babylon 5 podcast, I brought up Babylon 5 in another podcast and kind of gave away a point of it. Ooh, and yeah. that's like, fair enough. That's on me. I should have realised that. But at the same time, Babylon 5 is old. But no, that's fair enough because there's nothing in the head- headline or title that says, hey, I'm going to talk and spoil Babylon 5. However, this one says Inglorious Bastards on it. If... I'm just, I'm just saying, like you should expect spoilers for it, okay? So that's it. I just want to make... I don't want to spoil things for people, but at the same time... Look, we could have got past this a lot quicker if you hadn't brought this up. Right, we're going to get into this. So, the plot of Inglorious Bastards is... Same World War Two. it opens with um, Hans Lander, the Jew hunter, um, and he is hunting Jews. <laughs> made him sound like so Elmer Fudd. Just clever he name. just sounds like Elmer Fudd now. Um, and he kills an entire Jewish family except for one woman who manages to he let escape. Um, and then we see that there is a uh, American team uh, called the Inglor- called the Bastards, and they're going to basically. Brad Pitt is the head of the team. He's got this whole crazy legend about how he's half Apache and all this nonsense, and he's like, "Each and every one of you owes me one hundred Nazi scalps, and I want my scalps." And so they go behind enemy lines and just start killing Nazis like that's all they do and that spreads like wildfire across um, the backdrop of of, of, uh, of World War 2 as there's this group of Jewish people going around murdering Nazis behind enemy lines and no one can stop them and then um, Mike Myers <laughs> shows up as a British uh, general and gives orders to Michael Fassbender of all people, and says, Michael Fassbender, you have to go into German territory pretending to be a German. Uh, You're the only one who can do it because you're the only one who knows about German films. Um, You've got to go do this. You've got to meet with one of our contacts who's a German film star, and uh, she has vital information. And so he meets with the bastards, and then he goes to do the meet, and at the meet, um, a Gestapo person... uh, sort of catches on that he something's not right. They have a fantastic sort of discussion scene, at which point the Gestapo pulls a gun uh, because he knows Fassbender is a spy. Uh, but then, unfortunately, the other bastards that are there also pull out their guns and thinks there's the standoff moment. And it's just a question of who pulls the trigger first because everyone's going to die. They have a big shootout. Almost everyone dies. Um... Brad Pitt manages to get the rescue star out, uh, the film star out, but the film star, uh, the whole thing is they were going to go to a big movie premiere, 
And what has happened is the woman who escaped at the very beginning uh, owns a, um, a cinema now. And they're going to play a big piece of German propaganda cinematic film in her, um, in her cinema. And Hitler's going to be there and Goebbels is going to be there. So her plan is to set the place on fire because the film stock is highly flammable. And she's going to burn them all to the ground. That's her plan. No one knows about this. <laughs> Instead, the whole point is the film star is trying to get um, uh, 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 trying to get the bastards into the theater to kill Hitler as well. And so they go in there, and it's quite <laughs> it's really funny. Hans Lander's there, and he's like the evil Columbo, and he works out that she's done this. She he kills her, but then he offers the bastards a deal, which is like I'm not going to stop your assassination plot. If I get immunity and I get to retire nicely in America. Otherwise, I'll tell them that you're there and they'll kill you and the war will continue. But I'm happy to just let the war end. You kill Hitler. I don't mind. And I get I get to live easy for the rest of my life. And so they take the deal. And, uh, and then the, the, the bastards kill Hitler. The place goes up in flames. World War II ends. And then Brad Pitt, as he's taking Hans Lander... Um, across the border and stuff, he shoots Hans Lander's man and he goes, why did you do that? That was the deal. He goes, I, I, they, don't, they don't care about him. They care about you. And the uh, way I see it is you're going to take off that that uniform. So I need to make sure that you always remember who you are. And he carves a swastika into the guy's head at the end of the film. And that's the end of the film. And so, yeah, they kill Hitler. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's really absurd. Um, and that's in Glorious Bust. That's the plot of Glorious Bust. And... Um, you can sort of tell already how the style of Tarantino is in influencing the choices of events that are cap- that are possible in his world. Well, so, you know, World War Two isn't his world. The reception to what what was the reception like to Bastards? Oh, I don't know. I loved it. I don't know. I I, I think you're the only person I know who didn't like it. Really? I can't remember now. Because oh, I know there was a huge. Oh, maybe it wasn't him. I remember there was, there was someone who liked bastards and someone who hated Django and someone who loved Django but hated bastards. I remember. I know. Right. I, I don't know. There was a huge anymore. storm over Django when that came out, wasn't it? There's always a storm. There was a storm over Inglorious Bastards. That's sorry. That that's essentially what. I oh, meant. you mean it was there a controversy? Yeah. Yeah, it's a Tarantino film. There's always a controversy. So what was the controversy? Oh, uh, how can you sensationalize the Holocaust? How can you make jokes about the Holocaust? Right. That kind of... How can you... Have, how, movie violence. Uh, aren't you worried about how your movie violence will influence people? It's the same stuff he's been talking about his whole career. Right. Always. So, okay. um, but uh, the, 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 there's certain things that are in this story that no one else could do. World War II isn't his universe, and yet um, he made it very much sort of the Tarantino World War Two, And... The style that Tarantino has that I didn't really catch on to until I saw him. This was the movie that that made made it very clear for me. Uh, And one of the reasons you've said that you have a problem with it is because of how uh, you say it's gratuitous. That was the word I used. And how obvious that polarization I want to clarify that though in a minute because that's just going to make me sound like somebody who goes yeah the violence is gratuitous (laughs) no no because you love love Pulp Fiction talk about about the style so the style is that what Tarantino does is he switches from sort of cartoonish comedic black comedy violence to really realistic dramatic violence Hmm. he switches between the two and he does it with an aplomb that no one else does he just does it 
And the whole thing with Tarantino is he's always referencing movies. Uh, he's breaking the fourth wall. He's doing all these theatrical things because he knows it's a movie. His movie is about movie violence and all this kind of stuff. It's very theatrical. And so for him, he just goes, people get it. It's, it's not real. It's a film. So I can switch between them. And he has this confidence to just switch between them. And he does it masterfully that no one else can do. But people keep going. They keep saying, hold on. If I was supposed to laugh at this death scene, was I supposed to laugh at this really traumatic one? It's like, no, you're not. It's clear you're not supposed to find this one funny and this one uh, just because this one is serious, therefore this one should be serious or this one's funny, therefore this one should be serious. That's mm. not it. He's switching between them. People can't handle it. They don't know what to think. They start getting upset that they're laughing at a horrific death scene or something. And then they say, well, everyone, maybe this is why people shoot each other in America and they blame him for it. And it's like, this is not it. It's a film. It's not, it's not real. And so I'm moving between them. And when it's supposed to be serious, it's serious. And when it's supposed to be funny, it's funny. And it moves back and forth. It's funny within, within Glorious Bastards because you have that um, admittedly wonderful scene at the beginning with... Yeah. with um, it's really harrowing. Yeah, right. So it's really harrowing. So that opening scene is harrowing. And even that has jokes in it. Silly jokes. Mm. Like the giant pipe that Hans Lander pulls out. Hmm. Hans Lander pulls out, uh, Monsieur, but did you mind if I smoke my pipe? And he goes, of course. And he pulls out this giant, crazy Sherlock Holmes type pipe, <laughs> right? And he starts smoking it, and it gets a laugh. Uh, straight away, it gets a laugh. And then, because it's Christoph Waltz, and he just, and then he starts, re- you know, getting really serious about. He knows there are Jews under the floorboards, hmm. and he's going to have them all killed. And then the girl runs away and then he lets her go. And you're just like, this guy's terrifying. But then he gets gets into this scene where they're pretending to be Italian. And like, he can speak fluent Italian and they can't even say bonjourno. You know, it's just like, it's just great. Um, it's, It's so funny. And so, yeah, you switch between those two things. Like, there's a scene. Every time he has a scene with Shoshana, which is the the Jew who runs away, the Jewish girl who runs away. Every time he has a scene with her, He's terrifying. And every time he doesn't, he's funny. And he goes back. The whole strudel scene as well. The strudel scene is utterly worried. Like, it's so scary. (laughs) Because you're like, does he realize who she is? Yeah. Does she? And she's terrified out of her wits. But uh, when he's with Brad Pitt, it's hilarious. Because Brad Brad Pitt's a larger-than-life cartoon character in the film. Where Shoshana's not. Yeah. So Hans Lunder's different, depending on which scene he's in and so on. So, but it switches, Mm. right? And I, he does it, and, and and then the big switch at the end. I mean, he kills Hitler in in a theater, in a film theater. How much more on the nose does the film have to be? <laughs> Do you know? It's like he kills him in a film theater. Stop reading into it this. It was stuff. at the point where Hitler's face was melting <laughs> that I sat back and thought to myself, "I'm not sure I know what film I'm watching." <laughs> I don't think I quite understand this. <laughs> oh, man, it's great. It just shifts. I mean, it starts off, the film starts off, and it seems really plausible and realistic. Yeah. And then as it goes on, it becomes a bit more sort of less less realistic, uh, less sort of historical and more sort of just like, uh, it's sort of a theatrical, like Guns of Navarone type thing. Yeah. But with a bit of a sense of humor to it. And then at the end, you go, this is absurdism. This is like a Looney Tunes. Yeah. This is like a Bugs Bunny or something. And and you know what? He 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 set this up and he set it up 
in the way that uh, his style goes, but which this, we'll get to. Yeah, well, this, so well, now's a good a good point just to flip kind of a, um, to earlier in his career because mm. the reason I wanted to qu- uh, qualify the gratuitous comment. Yeah, the reason I said it was gratuitous is is only relative to his earlier movies. Yeah. so he's always had this yes um, comedic violence and harrowing violence. Yeah, and he's always had the kind of um, uh, comedic conversations. Um, smash cut to uh, Tim Roth bleeding out of his belly. Like, right, exactly. So, so there's, there's, that's always been there. They but, argue about tipping. Exactly. And then so, suddenly, yeah. So Reservoir Dogs, the opening Reservoir Dogs is quite famous. You've got that the the scene where they're arguing about tipping around the yeah. table and you've uh, got the, I forget what he's called, but the, um, uh, the big guy's just flipping through this old uh, contact number book like Wong, uh, who, who, who are these people? Um, and so you've got this kind of big conversation going on with this amazing dialogue, and it's really about nothing in particular. Mm. And then you, like I said, smash cut to Tim Roth bleeding out of his belly. And so at one point you're laughing, and then the next, yeah, you know. Um, in fact, I think it's just after the opening credits where they're all looking really cool, and right. they cut to it. But the point is, you have this humor interplayed with the violence, and I thought, yeah. If you imagine it on a on a scale, that scale is much smaller when you look at Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and his earlier stuff. Where you compare that to Inglorious Bastards, yeah. the it's so much further in each direction on the scale. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing truly absurd in them. No, uh, but then Inglorious Bastards. I mean, that's that is. Completely absurd. It's completely absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so when I say gratuitous, that's yeah. what that's what I mean. Yeah. When you when you compare the level of um, violence and the level of yeah. comedy, I guess. In you see, the Bastards reason I wouldn't say it's earlier. gratuitous is because uh, gratuitous implies a superficiality, and I think you get insight when when they kill Hitler, because you get a rush of insight into what you've been watching. <laughs> you've been watching. You've been watching I didn't a the film. First time I watched it. Yeah. When I when I watched it, oh, that's what I mean when I say I got Tarantino. I'm like. I'm watching a film about films. Right. This it's it, this is great. <laughs> like it's not the real world. This is a film world. And um and uh, and so like Reservoir Dogs it's the same thing. I mean these people are so stylized. Mm. I mean they're really none of these characters are realistic really in that way. I mean Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink and all this stuff and then they're in those uh, they're too cool to be real. <laughs> Okay, and of course, the Reservoir Dogs. But it's not I mean, cartoonish. It's kind of cartoonish, but I I think we're more haggling over what we mean by 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 cartoonish. Okay. Uh, you, I mean, I'm not necessarily literally meaning just the only type of cartoon is Bugs Bunny, but <laughs> you know. Okay, so whereas may, maybe you could see Reservoir Dogs as a cool graphic novel, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Where I could absolutely one hundred percent. Yeah, Looney Tunes. It's just <laughs> silly. It's a South Park. Right. Uh, there you go. Let me put it this way: Inglorious Bastards is South Park, Reservoir Dogs is its always sunny in Philadelphia. Right. Okay. okay. Like it's not like you know one can get away with a bit more than the other. Aliens can show up in yeah. South Park; they can't show up in. What was, what was funny for me though, and I'll, I'll just I'll end this little. Um, I will move. We'll move on from this. Um, uh, after I say this, um, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, I enormously enjoyed. When I was younger, and still do, yeah, and still, I I think Reservoir Dogs is wonderful. Yeah, um, I really didn't. I okay, I really didn't. But I again, and I it was had but, nothing to do with him really. But it was only really after having this uh, having conversations with you about Tarantino. <laughs> <coughs> oh shit! 
There you go. <coughs> Our okay. style is how we blend intellectualism <laughs> with Tarantino. Um, Childishness. Yeah. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, fine. Okay. Try to drink. Uh, I I didn't necessarily I, I knew what I was enjoying and uh, but I didn't necessarily understand it understand that that's what he was doing until yeah. we'd had the conversation. Um, it was at that point I understood understood that Inglorious Bastards was effectively the same thing, just an exaggerated version yeah. of those earlier movies. Yeah, it is. And so there was a cut-off point really in Tarantino's career where he got more and more exaggerated. Where I yeah. went, you know what? He got more and more of a budget as well. <laughs> right. He where got more I, and more famous yeah. people in it. Right. Where where I just go. You know what? I think yeah. this is too much for me, and I, I prefer the early stuff. But that's what unlocked it for you, wasn't it? Yeah, because uh, I, I just—I mean, that's when I—I I remember when I first saw Pulp Fiction stuff, and I'm just like, I don't get why everyone loves this. And after *Inglorious Bastards*, I went back and watched his films, and I went, oh, "Okay." So, I mean, Pulp Fiction—you know—the f- the famous sort of controversy in *Reservoir Dogs* is stuck in the middle with you, right? Which yeah. is, on the one hand, silly and funny, and at the same time. Horrific. Yeah. Right? Which is just pure Tarantino. Made more traumatic by the music. By the fact that the music traumatic. and people didn't know how to deal take, with it. Take the music away and it's... That's just a... It's but, on it, one There's no controversy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Pulp Fiction, you have this ridiculous, say what again? I dare you. That whole scene, right? Which is this ridiculous farce of a scene. Which with, scene About is the that? burger. I can't, I can't A big kahuna that. burger. Mmm. It's, a, it's oh, the very right, beginning. Okay, the so. big kahuna burger. Mmm. And he's like, what? Say what again? All that ridiculous Samuel Jackson then quoting the Bible. Then a guy storms out and shoots them with a machine gun but completely misses. And then he shoots. They, they shoot him dead. And it's like... He starts thinking it's a miracle. It's like, was it a miracle? Wasn't it? They have a guy in the back seat of the car as they're arguing about this. John Travolta turns around and says, was it a miracle? Or wasn't it? Accidentally blows the guy's face off. And then they have to pull the car and someone else then has to clean the car. And it's just like, this is this is just a joke, right? This is just a farce. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it's really graphic and violent. And these are yeah. criminals. And, and, you, and they're so cool you love them, you know? And it's just like... This is how he's always been. This is how he's... Every one of his films, he's done this. And every time, it's just the same controversy. Even though it's... So, even though he's making it clearer and clearer. <laughs> People right. are still going... But aren't you worried about the effects of having such gr- graphic movie violence? Like, they kill Hitler. <laughs> how can anyone take this seriously? Like, they kill Hitler. How can you take this seriously? And so, all his films have been that way. Like, how can you take Reservoir Dogs that seriously? I mean, look at them. Hmm. Mr. Blue, Mr. Pink, dun, 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 and they're oh, going God. to all that music. Uh, we, we I mean, need it's... to record. We need to record one of these well, um, with a video camera. Well, because you see me dancing. Because I've just seen you dancing. Eh. But like, <laughs> but it was really cool, guys. You you don't understand how cool my dancing was. It was like, it was like Mr. White was in the room. Okay, here's the cool one. He's the cool. One. That's why he's white because he's cool. I said Mr. White because he's the one that does the stuff in the middle. He's cool. Um, he is cool. Uh, and uh, but yes, they've all got those crazy code names. They make jokes about. It. They're so cool. And then Pulp Fiction. They're so cool. And I mean, it's just like how, you know. And he's always casting people who are either well known or used to be well known. You know, he's. I mean, but it was it was yeah. Inglorious Bastards that. Yeah, but he's always been this way. And so, and what's interesting about that style is that um, because he has such a distinct style, on the one hand, yeah, it can put people off and so on. 
but once you get it, it's very rewarding. And then the other thing about his style is that it gives him the way he writes is influenced by his style and vice versa. So he makes choices that work in the world that he's writing in that would never work in other people's stories. Like you can't <clears throat> killing Hitler is so so ridiculous, but it works in Tarantino's World War Two story, but it wouldn't work in another World War Two story. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. It's it's something that he does. So his his choices uh, in the way he tells the story help set up and create events. So, for example, killing Hitler in a movie theater, he set up that this is a film. Okay, he has a whole plot point built around they have to infiltrate the cinema, and they need to know about German cinema. So they're talking about film. There's a bit where they have Samuel Jackson who is noticeable because he's Samuel Jackson, and you know this is a Tarantino film, and so you expect Samuel Jackson in the Tarantino film because Tarantino is kind of the reason why Samuel Jackson has a career. And yet, this is World War II, and there are no black people in it at all. I think there's one secondary black character who's friends with the Jewish girl. That's it, hmm. in the whole film. So it's not just Samuel Jackson. It's, the most, it's a very famous uh, actor that Tarantino is known to work with who's also black, doing the voiceover, telling you about the history of cinema and how films at that time were really flammable, made from really flammable stock. Okay? So you've got all these setups that are constantly reminding you, this is a film. Mike Myers is in it for a cameo. Okay? <laughs> so you have all these actors. Brad Pitt's the main guy. You've got all these actors, it does these, uh, I don't know what you call them, but these things where they freeze the frame and put someone's name across it. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what they're called. Either. Yeah, they do those things. All these sort of choices, these stylistic choices that say, this is a film, this is a film, this is a film. Why, is that, why am I reminding you this? Because I'm going to kill Hitler. <laughs> this is not real history. It's all the, all the... Hitler's going to die in my film. This is not a, actually World War II. This... this is not a World War II documentary or a historical drama. This is me killing Hitler in a ridiculously romanticized World War II film. I'm going to kill Hitler. <laughs> the style itself is a setup yes. for the ending of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's why when I say, you know, I got a rush of insight, I went, oh, of course. It's not a, Was it the Hitler mo moment where you suddenly went, oh, I get him now? I, I was enjoying it from yeah. the beginning. I, I, I think I, I remember the very first sequence with Hans Lander and I went, oh, my, he knows how to write. Yeah. Like, wow. Like, it's just brilliant dialogue, super tense scene, and it's no cuts, just... And I thought, what a magnificent writer he is. What a magnificent director he is. Like, his skill is just so good. And then, uh, <laughs> at the end, I'm like, oh, I get what I've been missing all this time. I get what I've been missing all this yeah. time. Um, which is that that thing, which is just that he is he's, he's making films about films. I find it so interesting that, that's the, that that film is what yeah. switched me off. Yeah. At the same time. Because you already got him. Yeah, he didn't need to make the point for you. <laughs> I mean, he didn't make the point for me. Um, I kind of feel like um, it. This is a point he's been trying to make quite subtly through his career, and now finally with Barsis, he's like, "All right, okay, you know what, guys? I'm just going to make it as obvious as possible." No, it's so violent. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> Let's try again, Django. It's like we we still don't get it. Really? <laughs> you really still don't get it? <laughs> 
so yeah it's not it, it it's totally not that I don't understand it was just as a taste thing yeah yeah yeah, it's, I, um, yeah. It's the, so okay the stick on the style then style yeah. informing his choices yeah um, um, we'll go back to stuck in the middle yes as well then so that is something that only he could pull off yeah I mean who else has done something like that I mean Cabaret maybe they have a scene where um, there's some light music playing during a violent sequence like it, the counterpoint has happened mm. people have done that kind of counterpoint but um, I, I mean stuck in the middle with you is, is, a, is a particularly thing that's iconic yeah and you never see him do it do you no you don't that's what's what that's what's you don't seem to do it because it's really not, it's not, about it's not a joke. No. The more violent something is, the more blood and everything there is, generally the funnier it is. Yeah. Uh, when it's The more serious it is, the less you see. So, for example, in Django Unchained, the really harrowing scene where uh, D'Artagnan, uh, the slave, is torn apart by dogs, you don't see him being torn apart by dogs. Right. You see Christoph Waltz's reaction to yeah. him being torn apart yeah. by dogs. And you see just his face screaming every now and again. It cuts to and fro. Mm. Uh, you see the reactions of Leonardo DiCaprio. And you see the reaction of uh, Jamie Foxx's Django. But you don't see the murder. You don't see it happen. Mm. Because it's it's not funny. It's not appropriate for you to see that. You know? <laughs> That's the thing. Tarantino isn't isn't like a gore fest guy it's like you're not supposed to that's horrible stuff why would you want to see it hmm. you just need to know it's happening and that's it I'm going to move on yeah so that's the thing is people think I mean he he's just sensitive he know he gets it and he's got confidence so he knows when when to sh- show the horrible violence and when not to and generally the more horrific the violence is the less you'll see of it and the more funny it is the more you'll see of it I think that's really the mark of him being a master at this if he yeah. didn't know what he was doing he'd show you it all yeah right yeah he wouldn't know he wouldn't know how would to just, do it it would just come across as uh, yeah. then it would be truly gratuitous yeah exactly but he knows yeah. he knows how to do it and he does it every one of his films He's, at least the ones I've seen I haven't seen Kill Bill I haven't seen the Grindhouse one but as far as I'm aware he doesn't even like the Grindhouse one He's not happy with it, as no. far as I remember him saying. But where, as as we discussed, that was done for a reason. That was um, uh, how did you put it? Before? Uh, not retro, um, nostalgic. nostalgic. Yeah, and nostalgic. I think he, he sort of missed a reason why he was doing it, other than to just make it be nostalgic. I don't know. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember what he said about. It. I just remember him not liking it. I haven't seen Kill Bill though, yeah. so I don't know. But the um, the the same with the uh, uh, John Travolta accidentally blowing the head off that guy. Yeah. You don't see it. fiction. You just see the blood. Yeah. You don't see. You don't see the. Uh, well, yeah. You. Mm. It's from behind. It is from behind. No, it's just right. a silhouette. But boy, you get a laugh out of it, right? You do because it's funny. <laughs> uh, and you're just like, what just happened? And of course, their reaction to it—they don't even care. They kill the guy. Yeah. They're more upset about the the. We're driving a car in the middle of the road and yeah. daylight, and there's blood all over the inside, and like, what are we going to do if we get caught? And it's yeah. just like, as I say, it's like a Philly episode. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um. So, yeah. So I mean, yeah. So the stuck in the middle thing is in it, it, his choices of style allow a scene like that to happen. Yeah. Whereas that wouldn't. I mean, in 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 yeah. Reservoir Dogs, you've got the whole them talking about. Um, uh, tipping, right? Yeah. You know, how do we do the tip? Who should tip? Who shouldn't yeah. tip? Uh, then they have the they have this argument over what names they're going to be called. 
you know, why do I gotta be Mr. Pink and all that stuff? Like, does it really matter when you've got a psycho like this on your team? Like, why are these super cool, tough, psychotic gangsters arguing over which one of them is called Mr. Pink? Yeah. You know, it's so ridiculous a thing. Like, they name, they, they sound like um, Cluedo characters. And yet, they, they're these tough guys. And so- it's funny that the, the kind of, the humour um, that interplay in, in Reservoir Dogs is done just slightly differently because it's not, you don't really get laughs out of the violence in Reservoir Dogs, but no. it does constantly cut between the violence and the and the crime and the severity of that situation with yeah. these kind of old mundane fi- funny scenes. bits of yeah they, yeah yeah gangsters living these this sort kind of mundane, mundane life. trivial trivialities exactly yeah and you're just like yeah they're, they're arguing even, about silly trivial things and then cut to they're about they're all about to die yeah exactly yeah the or heist get is tortured wrong to death and, yeah. yeah it's just like why it's just so silly right <laughs> yeah uh, so it's come from a different a different place yeah um but okay, so style informs choices. Yeah. Um, let's move on then to the to the point of Tarantino's writing. Well, yeah, I mean, the, what Tarantino has done and still does is he's always he he's making films that are about films, and I don't mean they're about films in, in the sense that like someone like J.J. Abrams makes films about films, which is you know, hey, did you see Star Wars? Wasn't it great? Mm. Here's Star Wars again. He does nostalgic. films, yeah. He does films that aren't just nostalgic. They are about the film industry, and the kinds of things that the film does, and the kind of ways that films talk about things. That's what his films have always been about. That his films are are use movie violence to comment on movie violence, and, it's, and this is why he gets sick of it because it's like his work is t- is clear, you know. It's fun, but it's it, it, you can talk about things and so forth. But it's fun because it's a movie. It's okay to see this stuff in the movie because yeah. it's the movie. It's not okay to do this stuff in real life. And these people aren't great people, but they're human beings. And hey, look at look at what I mean. Like he's not. It's it's so obvious that that's what he's doing like all his films all the characters have this arcane knowledge of movies they talk about movies and film and music and story all the time and his his thing is just like saying about how films talk about these things and the kind of lessons that we get from films because the way in which they talk about these things and so he's talking you know his uh, earlier works that are all contemporary and stuff are all talking about the the movie violence and the movies that we see in the way in which I mean was didn't didn't he write I don't think he directed but he wrote Natural Born Killers right uh, I believe so which is just all about how the media turns serial killers into movie stars right and stuff right he's it's all about that kind of thing so the idea that you know so no wonder he sparked the controversy that he has and why he keeps getting uh, asked about it because it's like yeah it's it's their house that he's sort of kicking in you know he's walking up and says like this is how it works and they're like well what, what are you trying to say and so like, i'm talking about you i'm not talking about other people i'm talking about you how the way in which we glorify media uh, glorify violence the way we have fun with violence and how it's okay to have fun with violence not that terrible if it's cathartic and in a film hmm. and so he's constantly reminding people like don't worry how horrible this is it's a film they reference films they talk about films they they break the fourth wall 
It's a film, and so it's don't those, worry. I'm glad you mentioned the fourth wall because he's not always broken the fourth wall like no. that. But it comes back to the point yeah. we said, which is that things have become a bit more exaggerated with him. Well, what's different now as well is that he hasn't said it in the contemporary world, right? He's set in Glorious Bust in World War Two, and Django and Change set in this, uh, the slavery of the um, late 19th century of America, and Hateful Eight set in around the same time. Yeah, and around just after the American Civil War, if I remember right, and um, in all these cases, his he these aren't world. This isn't the contemporary world. This is a historical world. And so, what's he doing? What he's say he's basically going. There are films that tell stories about this this type of world. So this type of world is essentially a story. World War Two is essentially a story, and so on. But these things are things that really happened, and the things that really happen aren't really f- reflected in films the way that they have always been and that there's certain aspects that no one was willing to talk about certain things like for example he's totally fine to have people be called nigger and django unchained because like that's how they talked and people said is it really appropriate to have them say these kind of words or it's like that's how they talked we're not going to pretend that's not how it happened that's what how other people do slavery stories they pretend like oh uh this is like no no let's actually put on screen mm. what people were like back then the use and, of the word, I mean? the use of the words, is the point. Yeah, exactly. It's right? like this is how people talk. This is how people treated human beings as dogs. And what do we do in films? We kind of make it okay and nice. So what does he do? He's this is a film about how films talked about slavery. And you know that's what's Django and so he's, about. he's attacking the films that talk, that that used slavery, and he's attacking I, I slavery if, itself. I don't know if the word attacking is appropriate, but essentially, well, attacking and criticizing, way, commenting, however you want to phrase it. I attacking guess, yeah. in the way that I think any kind of comedy, uh, yeah. can be angry over something. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's certainly an anger there, right? There's there's definitely a bit of anger there, definitely, and there's also a bit of love there because he loves the films. Sure. He actually likes those films. Like I love those films, but at the same time, they boy did they lie, <laughs> you know. And so he, so Django Unchained. Like, how do you make it? How do you make it clear that this is a film in Django Unchained when there's no films? So they talk about books, right? Dumas, right? All about Alexandre Dumas, right? It's all about his books, fiction, fictional character. And, so, and what, what is what does what does Django say? Here's my life story. Isn't it tragic? And what, how does Christoph Waltz's character respond? Ah, you, she's your Brunhilda. He likens it to German opera, right? Because that's the frame of reference they had back then. So everything becomes everything is a story. History is a story, but these things really did happen, and this is kind of what it was like. So now he takes. So now with these things, he's taking a historical world. And then fictionalizing that historical world and trying to keep it somewhat uh, true to the the horrors of that world. And so you have scenes in Inglourious Busters where you go, oh my, the, this Nazi hunt is terrifying. And then you have these other scenes where it's like, how ridiculous are World War Two films really? <laughs> Do you know? Like that you get yeah. a band of heroes together and they fight the good fight. Like how ridiculous is that? Do you think it's a? I mean, oh, sorry, I know the yeah. answer to this, but clearly, you think it's a blend that works. I think so. Yeah, yeah. A, a blend between, on the one hand, addressing the issue of of the Holocaust and saying this was something horrific that happened. Yeah. Um, whilst at the same time, then oh. therefore, sort of attacking World yeah. War Two movies or uh, yeah. using World War Two. Yeah, movies. it's it's just like this is how World War Two movies talk. Like this is World War Two movies. 
plus this is what World War Two was. This is the Holocaust, what it was like. Yeah. Let's combine the two: the reality with the fictionalized version of it. You sure. put the two together, which is what he's always been doing, right? The, the real, tr- real violence yeah. and the cartoon movie violence. Yeah. So he's just doing it, but now instead of taking acts of violence and criminality, he's taking historical uh, tragedies. Like the Holocaust and slavery. Yeah, it's funny because with um, so going back to Reservoir Dogs, he's got he's taken the world of gangsters. Yeah, and so you you have these contemporary gangsters. We know gangsters are are yeah um, are bad people. You know they're going to rob this uh, this yeah. diamond place, and then juxtaposing that with this yeah uh, kind of humor and the mundanity of their yeah you know sitting right. at a cafe eating. Whereas now instead of taking um, uh, a kind of um, archetype like that he's now taking history yeah and juxtaposing that with yeah instead of like a crime of a bank robbery it's the crime of the holocaust right the crime of slavery and then um and then also like the black exploitation movies that he liked the western movies that he liked the world war ii movies that he liked Mm. because he's not lying and saying i didn't like those films i did like those films but at the same time i mean those films are gratuitous and he likes the gratuity of them and so on, but at the same time, it's like, there's something real here. You know, there's something really real about the Holocaust. There's something really real about the slavery and the way we talk about them is kind of um, ridiculous. So Okay, let's move this on to then the summary. Okay. Um, though we might use the summary slightly differently. I think it's good okay. to now focus on what we're going to take away. Yes. Because on the one hand, we could just stop there and say Tarantino or Tarantino, <laughs> as is correctly pronounced. Yes. What a great director. Yes. Love him or hate him, etc., etc. Right. Cut. Right. Um, but actually, what can we take away from this? Well, I think what's interesting about this is uh, when I was growing up and everyone was into, you know, you yourself, obviously, were all into Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown and... You went into Jackie Brown, but no, I other people yeah. like Tarantino was just this hugely revered figure in film, and I didn't like any of his movies. And I'm trying to be a writer, and I'm studying, and I'm learning, and I'm just like, this guy's not good. I don't like him, etc. I don't get it. But there was always something niggling at me, which was just how much people loved him, and it was like, am I missing something here, or am I not missing something here? What's going on? When I finally saw Inglorious Bastards, because I wanted to, as opposed to the others where I felt I had to, this one I wanted to, because I saw the trailer and I went, this looks hilarious. I remember you talking about the trailer, and yeah. in fact showing me the trailer. I loved the trailer so yeah. much, I'm like, this looks hilarious, I can't wait to see this. <laughs> and I fell in love with the film, and then I finally got how he works. I, you know, It was a great learning lesson, for, uh, learning experience for me, um, because sometimes... Like when you study things a lot, you can get into that sort of alpha geek mentality of I know everything, I'm always right, and you forget that you have taste, right? You just have your own sense of taste, mm. and so sometimes you'll like something that's not good, or you'll hate something that is good, and you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference between the quality of the work and your appreciation of it. And so sometimes, uh, and then you learn the wrong lessons. That's what happens. Yeah. Because then you think, oh, I hate this thing. It's just Deus Ex Machina. It's just this. It's just this. Actually, you don't necessarily maybe know what Deus Ex Machina is. Or you don't really know what the genre is. Uh, for example, I don't like horrors. I don't like horror films. Uh, but I noticed that there's a big difference between a good horror film and a bad horror film. You, you like Alien, that? don't you? I like Alien. I like Shining. I like Terminator. 
they're all horror films that I like. Yeah. Uh, but generally, I hate horror films. And I realize one of the reasons I hate horror films is um, that so much of them rely on gore. Yeah. And I think gore is the 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 I have a particular distaste for the gore. That means I'm not willing to tolerate a mediocre horror film. Yeah. Whereas if it's, uh, but even really good horror films, I'm not particularly interested in being scared by films. That just I don't care about that. It's just not something I want to see in a film. Really, I'm not that interested in it. But that doesn't mean if someone, if I was going to sit down and like to really study horror, I wouldn't. I'd have to re- recognize that's something there that I bring to the table. And mm. before I started criticizing, oh, this doesn't doesn't work as a horror film or whatever, because you have to understand the standard, right? Yeah, and so. It's just, it's an important tool, uh, sorry, it's an important thing to remember that sometimes you just can be wrong, that your taste is not always the same as quality of the work, and you can just be wrong sometimes. It might take you a while to realize that. You might have to grow as a person or whatever, but it might, sometimes you can just be completely wrong about these things. I do love how, how taste as audience and writers actually changes over time. Yeah. How one thing you watch years yeah. ago you don't understand, or you just think, oh, I, yeah. you know, uh, you watch comedy doesn't make you laugh. Yeah. Ten years later, it can be one of your favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. I I, I always say time is the real test of quality. Yeah. Like how that's one of the reasons why I think if you're writing, you want to be able to take time over it, so you can put it, you can write, put it to aside for a while, and then come back to it to see what stands up because it's too, it's too easy to try and rush it through to the end. Unless you have lots of eyes looking on it, mm. um, but yeah, it's it's just one of those things. Like uh, you know, I have people uh, uh, sort of want to, you know, like what happened with Batman v Superman, and everyone's just like, guys, it's good, it's just well done. You're just jumping on a bandwagon, and in, in, in a few, like, I reckon in a few years, people look back on it and go, oh, this isn't actually nearly as bad as we thought. It's just really dark. Mm. Um, and it's not fun, but it's not bad actually. This is some really great stuff in here. Uh, but on the other hand, maybe it's uh, it's been burned. But it's just it's just one of those things where sometimes I'm sitting there and someone's trying to tell me, you know, you, I watch these videos on YouTube and people go like, I hate this film for these reasons, and I'm like, why doesn't it bother you in this film? Yeah, because all those things are there too. So what's different? And you realize that the, 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 a lot of people will say it's wrong to do X at all, full stop. You should never do X. You should never do Y. But then you find that they like stories where they did X and they did Y. So what's different? That's when you have to kind of check a little bit. Sometimes maybe the problem isn't X or Y. It's just you. Yeah. You like that actor and you don't like this actor. This director gave an interview where he sounded like a total arrogant jerk, and this uh, this director didn't, and therefore you like them, you know? Yeah. Like some scandal comes out about this actor or this director or whatever, and suddenly you don't like their work anymore. It's just like you've got... If if you're an audience member or whatever, fine. But if you're trying to write, if you're trying to write, or you if you're a critic, you need, you need, to, have your, you need to have that barometer somewhere. Yeah. And like, so you'll make mistakes sometimes, but... You got to make have some sense of that because you're telling people you're you're kind of you have to be able to tell the difference between what you're saying, which is sort of an objective standard, as it were, mm. versus what's just a subjective standard for you. I think the difference between objective and subjective really is probably at the heart yeah. of the matter here. I love I I love the warning about learning the wrong lessons from something, yeah. particularly if it's yeah. a bad movie that you love. I mean, we right we both love. 
Dumb and Dumber. That's a good And movie. I'm not about to say it's a bad movie, but I remember distinctly... So when I started breaking down movies and yeah. sitting scene yeah. by scene, Dumb and Dumber was one of the first ones yeah. that I did, and it was with you, and I was terrified. Yeah. I was absolutely terrified. Because it's just for love, right? right? Yeah, what... It what happens if it's a bad movie? Yeah, it's you not. Know, am I not allowed to like it anymore? Yeah, so you can love it. Yeah, and actually, that. we figured out that there's some quite clever stuff going. There's on really some clever stuff, but yeah. it's 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 really yeah, it's fine. Uh, Equally, you know, how many lessons are you going to learn from Transformers the movie? It, not many. <laughs> uh, but but it's I, I mean I made this when I talked about Star Trek Beyond. I made this point like it's not a very good film, but I hate it. <laughs> right I hate it it's offensive to me Star Trek yeah. the, the new Star Trek films I find them offensive I find The Force Awakens offensive because uh, just of the waste of talent and possibility and potential mm. that's there but I don't actually sit there and think these are the worst films ever made uh, I can I, there are worse films I've seen far far worse films there are good things about these films sure but I really personally hate them far more than they maybe deserve to uh i like so there's certain things like yeah i you know i think this is just the way it is like you just have to kind of check that right you've got to recognize that so and that's why i said it with star trek when i was like it's like a two-star film but i treat it like a negative 300 star film. <laughs> so like that's qualifying my range yeah. it's not just like but you know. similarly just to go back again briefly to something you you mentioned it's entirely possible that there's a fantastic movie that you could learn dozens of lessons from yeah. that you just don't like. Watchmen. Watchmen. The comic book. Okay. Uh, I learned a lot. I don't really like it, but I learned a lot from it. Um, the comic book. You yeah. didn't like Watchmen? Not really. It's it's a very futile... It's a story about futility, and it's very sort of... Of its time, it's very 80s. It's, there's certain things about it that I'm not... I don't really care for that much. Mm. But it's pure taste. It's just like, I don't really care about these characters that much. I like Dr. Manhattan quite a bit. Um, there are certain aspects to what I like. And as I've gone older, I appreciate it a bit more and more. Mm. But it's it's not, it's not you know, that's why we did that podcast about favorite films, right? Sure, yeah. It's yeah, like, it just yeah. I can appreciate how good it is and how well done it is, but it doesn't... It doesn't do I, anything I'm for mu- you. There's so many other things he's done that I prefer. Like, I much prefer Tom Strong. I love his Tom Strong. Is it Alan Moore you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, Alan Moore. It's yeah. Tom Strong. I love that far more than I love Watchmen. Way, way more. You know, it's like I have to pick one to hold on to. <laughs> it's like Tom Strong's getting picked twice. Um, I love Tom Strong. I love... Oh, what, the, what was the other... Element? Did you like his Swamp Thing? I, I read only a couple issues. I just didn't get into it. Okay. Um... Uh, but it was very good, actually. Uh, I just I, I never really got the chance to get into it. It was never in trade when I was reading, when I was more into comics and stuff. I, it was never in trade. I should probably pick it up on Amazon, actually. Hmm. Um, but that that would be one, you know. Well, like I I think watch I always use it as so, an example of really great writing and stuff. But it's just would Alan Alan Moore then be another example like um, Tarantino? No. For I got somebody. him straight away. Hey, Alan Moore. Yeah. Okay. Alan Moore just writes high adventure. Okay. That's all he does. He can't look at the world any other way. It's always high adventure. <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, high adventure. Tom Strong, high adventure. Um, top ten, all of it. It's always highly symbolised and poetic. Hmm. You can't not do that. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. 
Okay. So, yeah, it's the, but that's the thing. It's like you just have to kind of... You have to be able to pay attention to what people are really talking about when it comes to... You have, I suppose you have to be able to read the subtext of of what people are saying when they see a film or a movie or a book or whatever. And they go, I love it, I didn't love it, or whatever. You have to... Same for yourself. Like You want to try and get past just what's totally subjective. Hmm. Uh, and try and work out okay this worked this didn't work and then you go well if if this is like Batman v Superman it's like if this is so well done why didn't it do well why wasn't it received well Mm. and I would go well because there's a toxic atmosphere around it but fundamentally because people aren't willing to watch superhero stories about Batman and Superman that aren't much lighter and more fun they don't really want to see Batman try to kill Superman they just didn't really want to see it. Yeah, it's not a place they wanted to go to, and that's fine. That is fine. Uh, it's but it's not a problem with the film that it went no. there because no, I think it went that, there very well. And that's that's the yeah. difference. I mean, that's the point we made back in the podcast, right? Exactly. So um, that's so, not, so it's the same with uh, with Tarantino. Like a lot of people go, well, it's just this, it's just that. It's like actually, it's really well done. Yeah. It's really well balanced. It's just that you don't have a taste for it, not because you know of anything necessarily wrong with you it's just that that's not your thing you, a should, big, you shouldn't learn the, you shouldn't learn the wrong lesson from right it. and there's a big danger with that isn't there because yeah. when you look at Captain America and the, the Civil War yes and that did so well yes. and what, you, what we were really concerned about was Is that, that Hollywood yeah, yeah Hollywood would learn the wrong lesson yeah that the that. Uh, the DC films would try and ape Civil War yeah yeah and that's that's the worry it's like okay if that's becomes the standard that people hold things to them because the standard is warped everything's going to be warped around it yeah um yeah, there's there's certain things like that. People just learn the wrong lesson. Hmm. So that's it. So yeah, it's it's something to be wary of. Yeah, or be be aware of. Yeah, as, as best as best you can. I mean, you can't always second guess yourself. But <laughs> that's when you get in the spiral. Oh yeah, <laughs> boy. Yeah, writers just, are an anxious bunch enough. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things. Like, if you think you're the alpha, uh, you know, the alpha geek of stories, that you get it and other people don't there's a, probably a very good chance you're making a lot of mistakes <laughs> um yeah so. okay 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 skadoosh